So I want to talk with you tonight about the power of believing in people. And so we're going to start here and we're going to go back to 1963. I almost did a show of hands for how many people were around during that time, but we won't. Uh, So in 1963, there was a psychologist by the name of Rosenthal, uh, or that was his last name, Robert Rosenthal, who wanted to test a theory that he had. And so he went and did this social experiment in an elementary school in the the Bay Area of California. And so he went into the school and only the principal of the school knew what was going on. He went in and he administered this test that he said, based on this test, I'll I'll be able to assess which students in, in the class are going to be able to, or will be blooming this year. Uh, academically. They're just going to shoot past everyone else and they're going to do great this year. So uh, he came in and he issued this test that was just a standard IQ test. And then he selected kids at random. Um, So didn't look at the test results, just picked kids at random. And he told the teachers, hey, so according to my test results, these are going to be the students in your class that are really going to bloom this year. And they're, they're going to shoot past all the others. And he picked these kids at random. Okay? It, they, weren't any, they weren't extraordinary. He just selected them at random. But he said that to the teachers. And at the end of the year, he came in and issued another IQ test to gauge you know, if, if there was any difference. And the students who, whose names he gave to the teacher that said, these students are going to bloom this year, they have tons of potential, even though they were selected at random, uh, they outperformed all their other peers. The same, something very similar happened the same year, another test was given. And this time, they took an entire class uh, and they, they told the teacher, hey, we, we handpicked every student that you're going to have in your classroom this year. And you have the top students in the entire district in your class. So, uh, so we're, we're, you know, excited to see what you, you do with them and how much they, they grow and how much they learn. And it was, again, not true. They were just ordinary kids and they weren't, they weren't kid Einsteins or anything like that. But the teachers believe that they were. And so same thing happens. They take a test at the end of the year and the kids in those classrooms outperformed all their other peers. Was it because those kids were smarter than all of the others? Uh, Was it because they were natural? They They were naturals when it came to math or reading? No, it's because they were believed in. There there is a a believing in others or being believed in is an incredibly powerful force. And whether or not, even as as early as as childhood, uh, so much of our life is shaped by whether or not we're believed in. And so tonight, that's what we're going to be talking about. And, you know, as we talk about 
teachers who believe in ordinary students uh, or apprentices or disciples, does anyone else come to mind? So when I hear those stories, what I think of is Jesus. Man, that is, they, whoever the Rosenthal guy was, jack that from Jesus, because that is, that is absolutely what he does, is he takes ordinary people. He took the, these, his disciples, this group of young boys who were past the time of getting selected to sit under a rabbi because they showed promise. So they were neglected in that regard. Um, they were unqualified. Some of them had temper issues. Uh, some of them had faith issues. Some of them were tax collectors. Okay? So he took this band of young boys and he believed in them. And they went from just this group of kids that wasn't smart enough to get in to the elite schools under the elite teachers or rabbis to what scripture would later describe them as the men who turned the world upside down. Why? Because something happens when you're believed in. Things that you didn't know were in you come to life. And the same thing happens when you believe in others. This is, this is what Jesus does. And he still does it. We see it with the disciples in scripture, but he's still in the business of believing in people. Jesus believes in you. Think about that. How does that sit with you? Like either, maybe your response is, sure, sure, yeah, I, I know I get it. Or maybe when you hear that, that rubs you a little bit. Almost like that's something that's unbelievable. Well, Jesus has a way of believing in the unbelievable. He has a way of taking ordinary people and transforming them into people who do extraordinary things. It's what Jesus does. And Jesus is still doing it with you and with me. Jesus believes in you. So who are you to discount yourself? And I'm not talking about some self-actualization, feel good, you've already got it, like without God kind of thing, okay? I'm talking about because of who Christ is in you, he's empowering you to do extraordinary things. Things that you could never do on your own. If, you're, if everything you do in your life, you could do without God, you need to go back to the drawing board. Because God not only empowers us, but he calls us to do extraordinary things, supernatural things, things that we couldn't do in and of ourselves. And again, I'm not talking about uh, like self-actualization and the human ability to become good on our own. Jesus, this is at the, the core of Jesus' teachings. 
If, if you were to distill Jesus' teachings down to one thing, you'd find it in Mark chapter 12, and it's whenever he's asked about what the greatest commandment is. And Jesus said, he, he does something that for us, when we hear it, when, when we hear what Jesus says in Mark chapter 12, oftentimes we think of just this one, uh, this one moment. But for the listeners at that time, they would have heard it in a completely different way. Because what Jesus does is he takes, he takes a prayer that the Jewish people pray multiple times a day, and he puts, he, he amends it. He adds to it. It would be like if you heard, uh, if you heard me citing the Apostles' Creed, and then I add something to it. At that point, that would sound off, and you'd think, what in the world are you doing? You heretic. Um, or if I took the Lord's Prayer, and I, I changed something to it, that, that would stick out to you. Well, what Jesus does when he answers that question is more than just giving a commandment, because it's more than just a commandment that he, he refers to. It's, it is a prayer that, it, it's the first prayer that Jewish parents would teach their children. It's called the Shema. And, and it comes from the, the Hebrew word for hear or listen is Shema. And so Jesus responds to the question. He said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second, so that's the Shema. So that's the prayer that the Jewish people would pray when they woke up, when they went to sleep. But then he doesn't leave it at that. He said, and the second is this. And you'll love your neighbor as yourself. There's no greater commandment than these. That is, you know, we talk about our mission as a church is to see people transformed by Jesus. What what does a spiritually transformed person look like? That. One who loves God and one who loves people. That's at the, the heart of transformation. It's at the core of it. And so... What does, what does it mean to love people? I mean, loving God is much easier than loving people. Can I get a witness? Okay. Okay. Even, but even though that's true, the, the biblical writers don't give us a break on that. They say, if you can't love your brother who you can see, how in the world can you love a God who you can't see? So they don't let us off the hook. Um, Neither does Jesus. Said, at the core of his teaching is this. It's to love God, to love people. What, what does it mean to love people? And in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, Paul, writing to a church in Corinth, says this. So 1 Corinthians, uh, we're just going to do 4 through 7 on the verses. Paul writes this. He says, love is patient and kind. It doesn't envy or boast It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. So Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, says that love believes. So part of loving people is to believe in them. 
is to believe in them. And before I, I get into what that looks like, I need to qualify a little bit about what that isn't. So when I talk about believing in people, uh, I, I'm not talking about throwing sound judgment or discernment out the window, okay? So, for example, this is an extreme example, uh, but anyway, if, um, if, if I know someone is struggling with pedophilia, I'm not going to like ask them to babysit my kids while I go out, okay? That would be throwing sound judgment and discernment out the window. But I am going to believe with this person for that addiction, that bondage to come off of their life and for them to walk in freedom. Okay, so does that, that kind of make sense? All right, so to love is to believe. It's the Jesus way. Jesus loves ordinary people, and so should we. So what does it look like to love, or what does it look like to believe in people? Again, this isn't going to be an exhaustive list, but I just want to highlight three things here. First one is honor. So to believe in someone is to show honor. And one of the ways I like to think about honor is that when you honor someone, you're able to recognize who they are without stumbling over who they aren't. So honor is being able to recognize who someone is without stumbling over who they aren't. So another way you could think of it is, is seeing people how Jesus sees them. When you see people the way that Jesus sees them, to me, that, that elicits the response of honor. And honor is a two-way street, okay? I'm not just talking about honoring up, I'm talking about honoring down. That we see people not by whatever titles under their name on their shirt or their desk or whatever, we see them based on how God sees them. And in that, we honor them. And and this is important because I've shared this before, but in Mark chapter four, you see what can happen whenever honor isn't present. When Jesus reads uh, the, the scroll of Isaiah and people's hearts are coming to life because they're hearing the word of God for the first time in their life and he's standing in front of them. They're on the cusp of a mighty move of God and then dishonor breaks out. And someone goes, wait a minute, isn't this the son of the carpenter? Like we, we know this guy. I mean, we, we've seen him grow up. And what happens in that moment is they stumble over who Jesus was in the flesh. The son of the carpenter. And because they dishonor him, Jesus, it goes on to say that Jesus could, could only do just a few miracles amongst them because of their unbelief. What if, what if the, the key to your breakthrough, whether that's healing, whether that's deliverance, whatever it is, is found in honoring the gift that God's put in an ordinary person sitting next to you? What if you're waiting for the great man or woman of God to lay hands on you, but the key to that, that freedom, 
that healing, God's actually placed in just an ordinary person. But if you honor that gift that God has placed in them, then you'll receive it. One of the things, when, when you believe in someone, you honor them. You, ex, you have an expectation with them. And something I found, for, like me personally, is I found that it was really easy for me to honor, or it was really easy for me to believe in people who were easy to believe in. So what I mean by that is um, the, you know, we talk about how professional athletes do these uh, unbelievable things. But is it really all that unbelievable that Tom Brady won another Super Bowl? Okay. Despite your lack of agreement in my prayers with me, uh, he won again. Um, but anyway, is it really all that unbelievable? No, I don't, I don't think it's all that unbelievable. Why? Because it's easy to believe in his talent because he's, he's Tom Brady, okay? He's the goat. Uh, he's easy to believe in. And I'm sure there are people in your life that you, you, see, uh, you see opportunities or you see needs and you're like, man, that, that person over there, uh, that, the, the man of God, the woman of God, whatever the case is, like, that's, they can do that, uh, but I can't, or that other person can't. Um, and so one of the things that I learned was the people that I believe in are those who are really easy to believe in. God, help open my eyes so that I can see people the way that you see them, and I can see the gifts that you've put in them, like hidden treasure. Because God's spirit is on the inside of every believer, and, and there's uh, one of the things that when you believe in people, you call out that gold that's on the inside of them. Things that they don't even see themselves. Uh, like, pay attention to the things that people say to you that oftentimes you just brush off. You're really good at that. And you think, well, everyone's really good at that. No, no, that's not true. Okay, not everyone is really good at that. Uh, oftentimes the things that that God gifts us with, we don't notice because we just assume that, oh, well, that's how everyone thinks or that's how everyone acts. That, that's not always the case. So I think being able to, to see those things, sometimes they're obvious, sometimes they're, they're hidden. Be able to call those things out. And when you, what that is, is it's believing in people. Uh, another thing is, is opportunities. Opportunities. If you think about environments that you've been in where you felt believed in, you, you could probably identify opportunities that were given to you because you were believed in. If you think of environments that you've been in that you felt like no one, no one here believes in me, you would also probably see there weren't very many opportunities that were given to you. One of the things that happens... Uh, whenever, whenever in, a, in a culture or an environment that believes in people, opportunities are given because you've removed the fear of failure. So when the fear of failure is present, those opportunities aren't there. 
And when, when you're in an environment that you know you're not believed in, you fear failure. Because one misstep, one mistake, and everything unravels. Everything comes apart. But when you know you're believed in, you know that there, there is room for failure. And here's, here's what I mean by that. I was playing, I was playing uh, horse, okay? It's like a, the basketball game kind of thing. If you don't know what that is, Google it later. But, but anyway, I was playing horse with my son who was six years old at the time. And we were playing on like one of those Nerf basketball goals that you hang up on a door, you know? And I mean, for him, all, for all he knows, this is a, like an all-out battle, okay? Like we are both going at it. This is an intense competition, okay? Not so much on my part, but that's, that's what he is thinking, okay? That this is like we're out to win this thing. It's intense. And so we're playing, and I go to take a shot, and he looks at me, and he goes, Daddy, I hope you make it because I believe in you. But even if you miss, I still believe in you. Man, like, I hope you see there's more meaning in that than me just telling a sappy story about my son. Like that, in that moment, I just sat down and wept. I'm like, game over, you win. Because I I knew in that moment, the Lord is speaking to me through my six-year-old son here. He's teaching me a lesson. Because, because I, I did not, okay, I'm, I'm a recovering competitor, okay, incredibly competitive, I was an incredibly competitive person, and whenever I would find myself in situations like that, man, I'm in it to win it, okay, I don't, I don't care about whether you miss or not or fail or whatever, I'm looking out for myself, and in that moment, now that was a long time ago, okay, but, but in that moment, knowing what it meant to him and for him to be able to look at me and go, even if you miss, I still believe in you. When you believe in people, there's permission to fail. That, that just because there's failure doesn't mean that you're done with them. Thank God. Because if that was the case, we would all be done. The, the third thing, and we'll come back to horse. We'll come back to, to Nerf basketball. Don't worry, okay? Third thing is feedback. Feedback. Something that, uh, that they found in, um, well, I'll start with this question. What if, uh, okay, let me think about how to phrase that. Uh, what if you learned, like you were taught math or reading the same way that many ter- churches uh, do discipleship? Where there's very little feedback. Where teacher comes in, says, man, thank you so much for being at class today. It's going to be a great class. I believe in you, buddy here's your assignment. And then walks away, comes back, hey, it's test time. 
You ready? No. No, I haven't, like you haven't taught me anything. You haven't sat down with me and given me feedback. I think a lot of times we, we neglect feedback in the discipleship process. Okay, one of the things they learned from that Rosenthal test that I, I talked about earlier was with the students who were identified as bloomers, one of the, the things that the teachers did differently is they gave them, uh, they, they gave them specific feedback. Um, or, yeah, specific feedback. And so when they would get an answer wrong, it, the teacher wouldn't assume it's because they're dumb. The teacher would assume it's because you didn't understand. So let me give you that specialized feedback. So they, they would spend time with the child because they didn't just write them off as you're never going to get it. But they'd go, oh, you must just not have understood. So they, they would take time to provide that specialized feedback and walk through it with them. When you're in a culture that believes in people, there's feedback that's given. Specialized feedback on hey, I'm going to take time to sit down with you and give you good, honest, healthy feedback about you don't get that, you don't understand, or yeah, you're you're not getting that. Well, it's not because you're dumb or not because you don't care. It must be because you just don't understand. So let me take the time to sit down and walk through it with you. We we, we need to have feedback. When you believe in somebody, much like in sports, okay, Uh, yeah, Uh, sorry, I'm trying to to condense that. In sports, oftentimes, the the players, the athletes, that the coach didn't spend the time to coach, it wasn't because they were believed in, okay? Those who were believed in, the coach took the time to give the feedback to, okay? Okay. I, I have a high value for feedback because that's how we, we get better. That's how we improve. It may sting a little bit, but to me, the sting of receiving feedback from someone who loves me is far less painful than going my entire life totally ignorant of that blind spot in my life. Okay, so we have to have feedback. Now, I want to talk about barriers to believing in people. So the, we'll, we'll start with, I guess, the potential downside or the dark side of feedback, and that's critical culture. So when I talk about healthy feedback, it's from, it's constructive, or it's, yeah, it's constructive, it's helpful, it's from someone you love, it's not in a hateful way. It's, it's for your growth, your development, okay? That's a far cry from a critical culture. And when you're in a critical, when you find yourself in a critical culture, it's going to be, that, that will be a barrier for you that you have to get over in order to believe in people. Um, so, for example, back to, to horse. Okay, let me say this first. When it comes to culture, uh, don't underestimate the power of the environment you're in to shape the way that you think and you act. Okay, 
Because that's what culture does. That's what culture does. So, back to the, the horse game. So, a few days later, a few weeks, I don't remember, it was a few years ago. But I do remember this. Uh, what I would do after I missed a shot terribly, on purpose or not on purpose, is I'd miss and I'd say, oh, that was horrible. And I'd say this repeatedly, not paying attention to it. I didn't notice it until my, my son, whenever he started missing his shots, would repeat the same thing. And he'd say, oh, that was terrible. I thought, hmm. And then it progressed to whenever I would miss a shot, he would critique my shot before I could critique my own shot. <laughs> and, and I thought, hmm, that's, that's interesting, not good, interesting. And then it really hit home whenever I was just walking by and Brielle, who's my oldest daughter, but second oldest child, a couple years younger than my oldest son, she went to shoot and, and he goes, Brielle, that was a horrible shot. And at that point it hit me, it, it went from hearing me critique myself to him critiquing himself, to him critiquing me, to now he's critiquing his sister. And that's how, that, that is culture. That's how culture is created, is you, you see it, you learn it, you practice it, and then you pass it on to others. So you, you learn it, you practice it, you pass it on to others. That's what happens in culture. And so be mindful of, of what are the things that either you are learning and passing on, or you're the one teaching and creating that culture. So maybe for you, it's the, the only culture that you have a say in is the culture of your home. Start there. But be mindful of the culture you're in because the culture you're in can be a barrier to you believing in others. Uh, second thing is uh, self-centeredness. So when you're self-centered and you find yourself steeped in pride or envy, it's going to be really, really difficult for you to believe in others. Why? Because in pride, you are the center of the universe. So anyone else's gift is a threat. Uh, anyone else's accomplishment is, uh, is taking the attention away from you. And so you can fake it and be like, yeah, I liked your post and I'm going to comment, love it, so happy for you. That's not true. Or envious, where if, if you're wishing that, you're, that, that you were living someone else's life, it's going to be hard for you to believe in them. Because those things are contrary to the way of love. Love doesn't envy Love is selfless. Pride is like a black hole. Love is outwardly focused. And so if you find yourself steeped in that, you're going to find it difficult. James 3.16 says it like this in the KJV. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. Okay? So when you find yourself 
and pride or envy. Or if you find that it's difficult for you to believe in others, start assessing yourself on these things. Um, is it because the culture that I'm in is critical? And, you know, it, like w- what happened with, with Asher was I needed a mirror held up for me to realize what, what I was doing and what was happening. Once I saw the, the mirror get held up by what he was saying and repeating me, or yeah, by what he was repeating that I said, at that point I realized we've got a problem here. So as I share these barriers, be thinking and assessing, Lord, is, is this at work in me? Is this something I need to work on that you need to, uh, that you need to work in my heart on? The, the third thing, perfection. Perfection. If, if you have unrealistic expectations on other people, you're going to find it difficult to believe in them. If you're expecting perfection from others, you're going to be sorely disappointed. And you're going to find it hard to believe in them because they're going to fall short of that every time. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 11, said this. said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Another translation says, I'm easy to please. The only person who's walked this planet that has the right to expect perfection and demand it from one another or from others says that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is easy to please. How about you? Are you easy to please? Again, if there's anyone who has the right to expect and expect and demand perfection, it's Jesus. And yet he said, come to me, all those who feel like you're caring too much. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Learn my way because it's easy and light. If you struggle with perfection, you're going to struggle with believing in other people. Fourth and final thing is the cost. Believing in people comes at a cost. Anyone who's ever done it can attest to that. Because inevitably, someone will hurt you. Inevitably, somebody that you believed in will let you down in a really big way. The cost of believing in people is great, but the cost of not believing in people is even greater. Because it's when we believe in someone, when we call out what we see that God's placed on the inside of them, we give them those opportunities, we give them that feedback, we see them grow into the image of Christ. 
We see them do, we see ordinary people do extraordinary things when they're believed in. And so because you've been jaded or because you've been hurt in the past to withhold that and say, I'm going to protect myself from ever getting hurt like that again. Therefore, I'm not going to believe in anyone else. I'm not going to give anyone else an opportunity. That's, that's going to keep you safe. But that safety comes at a higher price tag than the vulnerability. I mean, Jesus. Jesus believed in people. He believed in those 12 young guys and one of them betrayed him. Someone that he had spent three years pouring into, Judas turns around and betrays him. Despite that, Jesus didn't cease to believe in people. He didn't cease to love people, even though some damaged and tossed away that love that he extended. Jesus continues to believe in us. Because I don't know about you, but I have had my fair share of mistakes. I've had my fair share of mess-ups. And yet Jesus continues to love us to the point that he came to the cross, took upon our sin, our failure, our shortcoming, all of our wrong, took upon himself and his response in return was forgiveness. Forgiveness. 